Welcome to Camp Glory's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this week's encouraging message by Pastor Sam Fine. For more information, please visit kingofglorycc.com. The Church of uh, Macedonia, um, as we'll read, we'll see they were in a very difficult place. But out of even a difficult situation, they chose to give and to bless. So let's look at verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, they're in a great trial, they're going through a very difficult time, there was still an abundance of joy, and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality, meaning their rich generosity. This church did not have much. But Paul is honoring them because even in their, their poverty, they chose to want to give. They chose to want to give of what they had. And you know, it's not so much about how much they were giving. It's, it's the fact that they were giving in their poverty. It's not that they were giving these great sides, but it was the collective giving of the whole church that brought in a, a generous offering for the furtherance of the kingdom. And you know, so it really goes to show that you might think, well, you know, I don't know if my offerings are really you know, doing anything. The bottom line is it's the collective giving of the church and we are able to continually show in to what the Lord is doing even in the nations. Um, we have quite a few missionaries, as you know, we have 15 missionaries that we're supporting and that are in great need and and there's we're actually you know at a point in our in our um, church where we're having to really um look at that seriously because we need a miracle we need a miracle financially to bless and sow in to those that are faithfully giving abroad and so I don't want you to look at your situation like it's how maybe little you have or the difficulties that you're going through. I want you to ask God, God, how can I give in what you have blessed me with in sowing into the work of the kingdom here in this church? Does that sound good? Amen. Amen. So let's just pray. Father, we just thank you that, Lord, you are more than enough. And so, Lord, we're asking now that you would just um, speak to us as to how we can give and sow with a grateful heart in what you're doing. And, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for you are an abundant God and you're faithful to meet our every need according to your riches and glory. So, Lord, I pray you'd bless this church richly. And I ask, Lord, you'd speak to us as to how we can give and to sow into the work of your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Let's go ahead and pass out the baskets. And um, you can give online um, on the website, PayPal, and give through check, or there's an envelope on the back of the, uh, on the chairs, and you can uh, put your cash in there. Amen. Mark, I tell you, I am so blessed by what the Lord is doing in your life. I, I, God's moving in your life, Mark. And, and the best days are ahead. 
And so do you have a word for him? <laughs> why don't you give him the, why don't you, I, I want you to speak the word out for over him. Because I really feel the Lord moving on him right now just in, um, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> though you walk through the fire, though you walk through the water, I will be with you for you are mine. And then in verse 7, it talks about being created for his glory. And verses 18 and 19 says, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Shall it not spring forth like streams in the desert? Amen. 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 Thank you. You know, I heard today, Jesse said, this is my family. This is my family. And you know, I know she means that with all of her heart. And the big picture in God's heart is the church's family. And I believe that the church is somewhat in an identity crisis. You know, over the years, the church, you know, has really done a good job in building organizational structures that fulfill visions of, of pastors and of men and leaders and women. And we've done a good job in getting the mission done. And you know, one of the love languages of the older generation is, is the sacrifice of yourself in giving to working, putting your hands to the plow. I so admire and respect um, the work, the, the individuals in the older generation because, because of their acts of service. If you want to get something done, go to somebody who's older. Because they know how to get it done. They know how to put in some sweat equity. They know that, you know, you're going to have to put your shoulder to certain things uh, to get it done. But I'm so blessed by the older generation because they have such a strong work ethic. They really do. It's like they just, they're the go-to person. If you want to get something done, go to somebody that's of the older generation. But you know what? Having a work ethic, or, or not work ethic, but more of an emphasis on acts of service is really um, not the love language of the younger generation. It's not bad. It's just not how they're wired. It's not their first go-to. The older generation, what they're looking for is quality time. They want to connect with your heart. They want to relate with you. They want to be known. They want to be heard. They want to be understood. And it's not that they don't want to work. They want to feel like they belong before they work. They want to feel like they're connected to something greater than themselves. They're all about community. They're all about hanging out together. But in that, out of this connection, after they're understood, after they know that you hear them, 
They can put their hands to things and get incredible things done. But it's out of a flow of, of their first love language of at least wanting to connect with people and understand that, you know, community is so important. Being in a family is, causes their hearts to come alive in knowing that there's mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers. And this whole dynamic is so important. But I believe that God is putting an emphasis on merging the older and the younger generation together. I believe it's something that's to take place that gives a picture of what family is to be about. You know, the last scripture, the send-off verse from the Old Testament into, into the New is Malachi 4, 6. And I think it's very important that we understand this. This verse indicates that, that the older generation is to make the first move. Let's look at what it says. And he will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents lest he come and smite the land with a curse. It's a model that God has designed to pass the blessings of God down from one generation to the next. It's the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is the heart of a father turning to someone and just saying, I see you. I bless you. I see the greatness in you. And it's drawing out that individual and it's giving them the blessing that they're looking for. You know, I just, I just read in the, well, on my phone this morning, not in the paper, um, on my phone. You know, a, a congressman, um, you know, she was just, you know, I think um, President Obama came and visited um, some of the Democratic, the young uh, uh, Democratic uh, individuals that have come on the scene. And he looked at one of them and he just said, you know what? I'm proud of you. And she wrote about that, how much that impacted and touched her heart. That he looked me in the eyes and he said, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And just that spoken word just lit her heart up to where I'm sure she felt like she could do almost anything. But I love this quote by Sean Boltz. We could put this up if you have it. Church was made to be God's expression of family. This is one of the young prophetic voices of today, Sean Boltz. Anybody heard of Sean Boltz? Church was made to be God's expression of family. It's how he designed it. So when the world looks at the church, do they see a family that, that loves one another, fights for one another, encourages one another, lifts up one another? Or does the world see an irrelevant outdated religious institution that is just doing good works. We have to ask ourselves, what does the world see? Do they see an expression of family when they look at the church? 
Or do they see a place that's somewhat disconnected, impersonal to the world around them? We're kind of insulated. We're just unto ourselves. You know, the other day I saw uh, a bumper sticker on the back of someone's car. And it really summarizes a lot of what, what people think of church today. And it said this. My church is the outdoors. Have you ever heard of that? My church is the outdoors. That's what's important to me. And I thought to myself, how sad. You know, I, I'm just not really fond personally of bonding to a 20-year-old pine tree. You know, I just, I, I mean, I think it's beautiful. I think the mountains are wonderful. I love streams. But there's not a heartfelt connection that's life-giving, that's like giving me a sense of identity and connection. But it's exactly what a lot of people are doing. Why are people doing that? Why are people thinking, you know, I'd just rather be in the outdoors and, and connect with God than to be with the church? I think it's because a lot of times they don't see the church as being safe. It's not safe to open up your heart, to let people see really who you are, what's going on in your life. They see people getting hurt and rejected. They see people leaving the church and just out of no reason. But it's a lot easier to connect with the outdoors because, you know, it's, it's really difficult for a 20-year-old pine tree to hurt you. But that's what people are doing. I think they look at the church and they think, you know, gosh, they have a lot of disagreements there. They get offended. And the world says, you know what? No, thank you. I won't have any of that. <laughs> I don't want any of that. I'll go to the trout stream and go fishing. You know, in some ways at times, I don't blame them. You know, when they look at it, it's like, you know, I'd rather go fishing too, you know? I mean, but it's time for things to change, church. It's time for the love of God. It's time to bring a revolution to believers in church. To see church is not made just to be an institution. It's not made just to be a, an organization. It's made to be a family first. We are family. And I realize that when God put together all of the disciples, you know, they weren't like, hey, bro, how are you? We're family. You know, they really, it took a while for them to really love one another. They didn't like each other at first. There was disagreements. They would say, hey, who's the greatest amongst us? And they'd stand there, look at each other. And Jesus is like, what are you guys doing? Come on. Consider the other person more highly than you do yourself. You don't need to be talking about who is the greatest among you. It's important right, right now that the church really learns to even fight for one another. 
You know, I love it. I got a brother here. He's, he always tells me about every week. Hey, brother, I got your back. And I know he does. He's there for me. He's fighting for me. You know, one day I was, I was at the swimming pool with my son. You know, there was a crowd of people at this, at this public swimming pool. And my son was just doing really well swimming out in the deep end of the pool. And I was just, I was a considerable distance away. And the next thing I know, noticed there was, a, there was a stranger that, you know, a, you know, coming up to him. And he's kind of a teenager in his, you know, teenage years. He started bullying my son. He started pushing him. And he tried to put him under the water. And as soon as I saw that, do you think I just stood there? I was like white on rice. I mean, I think a hydroplane across the water. I mean, in a split second, I was there. Bam! And I looked at that teenager and I said, what do you think you're doing? I said, you need to leave him alone and get out of here right now. And my son looked at me and I could tell he's like, thanks, Dad, that really helped. But you know what? How many times are we really standing up for one another? How many times are we believing the best in one another and not defining each other by the weaknesses that we see in each other? How many times are we saying, you know what? This is not who you are. I see who you are, and I know who you are in Christ Jesus. You know, when we see hurt and abuse and things going on, we just need to stand up and say, no, that's not going to happen in this house because we're family. We're family. I believe that the reason... Many are leaving the church is because there was never a there was never a deep heart connection in the hearts of individuals with other individuals as family. You know, when you're just working for a vision of the church, and when challenges arise, they can leave because there is no heartfelt connection to keep them there. When you don't have an invested interest and your heart is connected, and when you see yourself as a family, when it gets hot in the kitchen, guess what happens? You leave. And that's not the way God has designed church to be. When people get offended, when they get hurt, we need to work through those things. We don't need to say, all right, it's okay, just leave. We say, you know what? There's going to be times when we can get offended. Has anybody in your family, let me ask you this, has anybody in your family ever offended you? <laughs> Did you just kick them out of the family because they were acting like a bonehead? Did you get rid of them because they made a careless and foolish decision? Did you decide to excommunicate them because they hurt your heart 
and you had to choose to forgive them and release them even though you couldn't fix it. You still gathered around the table and you looked at them in the eyes and you said, I love you even though it's tough. You're stuck in there. I don't care what my family does. When I'm looking around the table, over the years, there's been some things that really hurt. But I chose to love. Choosing to love those that are not lovable at times is being the body of Christ. How many times can we choose to love those that stumble and fall and we're there to pick them up and not kick them back down? The body of Christ is to be the greatest expression of the family of God on planet Earth. We are to have each other's back and we are to connect with one another. We are to relate with one another. We are to cry with one another. We are to, to support one another. We're to be long-suffering with one another. You know, there's been times, I'm going to tell you, walking with individuals when they're coming out of freedom is not easy at times. Do you know how many times people can fall back into old patterns? And I'm like, ay, ay, ay. I mean, it's, it just happened again. But I don't, we don't give up. Because someone keeps falling back into old patterns. I am so grateful to the Lord Jesus that he didn't give up on me all the times that I fail and let him down. He never gave up on me. And he's never going to give up on you. And I'm so grateful that we have these beautiful women and brother who were all in the gated community, and now they're a part of the family of God. Amen? I mean, we're family. I, it's, I have to be honest with you, it really is supernatural. Because in the natural, I mean, it's easy to love your natural blood. But it's supernatural when you can have love for somebody and you never really even met them before. It's like you know them by the Spirit. Your heart connects with them. You're a part of the royal family too. You're a part of God's family. I can see it in your eyes. You can recognize somebody. You can see the love in people's eyes. But a church that is connected in heart. You know, it's easy to get together and to work on a project and to get it done. Okay? You feel a sense of accomplishment. But there's a difference to allowing your heart to connect with somebody that is not your blood brother or sister. You're connecting them with them in your heart and you're going to stand with them through thick and thin even when there's times it hurts, it's hard, it's exhausting. And then when challenging times come, you're just not going to choose to walk out the back door and think, you know what, I've had it. 
I've had enough of you. I've had enough of this church. Because the level of connection that people have with each other's hearts will be the level of stability and rootedness that will be in one's life to stay in a church when things are difficult. Turn with me to Ephesians 2.19. Ephesians 2.19, I'm going to read this in the NIV version. This outlines some terms every Christian should understand concerning his place in God's family. It says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Look at that. There's some key truths here I want you to understand is this. First, church is a family. It says God's household. It doesn't say that church is like a family. It says that church is a family. It is a family that we are to be a part of. It's not a cafeteria where you pick and choose what you want. Well, I might pick that church or I might pick that one. It's not something that we're picking and choosing. God is putting us together in one big family. Because you know, when you go to when you go to the cafeteria, there's no responsibility, there's no accountability. You can do what you want, you can pick what you want. But God plants us in one body into his family, and it will challenge some of you. I'd have to say over the course of 25 years in ministry, there have been some that God has put around me, planted around me, been around me as my family, have been harder to love than others. And I think that's the way God's designed it. Because it's, it's always sharpened me, always smoothed out the rough edges on me, but God has allowed those that maybe were a little prickly to be used to bring about the image of Jesus in my own life. So I'm grateful for all and everyone that has been in my life. It has been said that authentic New Testament Christianity centers on commitment and not convenience. Let me read that again. Authentic New Testament Christianity centers on commitment to one another and not convenience to what feels good in your own personal life. Number two, and a point I want to bring out of the scripture is that God expects Christians to be a member of his family. Notice that he says, you're a member of God's very own family. Every church, every Christian needs a church family. And we need each other to strengthen and to grow in our faith. We need each other to build us up, to be there for us, to speak the truth in love. We need each other to really hone in on the various areas that we're gifted in where somebody else in our body might be really gifted in that, and we want to grow in that. Like, for instance, Jennifer. Jennifer has a real gift in the prophetic ministry. Some of you here have been given a budding new gift of prophecy that is within you. And we need each other, like Jennifer, 
to grow, be trained, be equipped, know how do I hear God, what's going on, but it helps us build up the church as a family and to mature in him. Number three, a Christian without a church is an orphan. It's what it is. A Christian without a church is an orphan. It says you're no longer foreigners or aliens. Isn't it wonderful to know you're no longer an alien or a foreigner. You're a part of our family. You're a part of a big old family that loves you and sees the best in you. So we're not defining each other anymore by the past, not strangers, but we've been grafted into a family. Amen. You speak it, Abel. You know, um, some of you here are hands. Some of you here in this church are feet. Some of you here in this church are legs and arms. We all need each other. How many of you need your heart to live? Just like how many of you need your head to live? Every part of your body is fearfully and wonderfully made to work together to fulfill what God has designed for your life. What if one day all of a sudden your liver and your body says, you know, I think one week um, I'll be a part of this other body over there. And next week I'll be a part of that body over there. Well, guess what happens to that little liver? If it chooses to leave the body and be a part and just drift and be around everywhere where it wants to go, eventually that little liver will shrivel up and die. We need every part functioning and working together and not be an unconnected liver which will eventually shrivel up and die. We must be a part of a church family. You know, I love what Mike Bickle said here recently. You know, I love Mike Bickle. He just... You know, in the early beginnings of this church, you know, I had a, had a, a time with him, and, and I said, you know, Mike, I really, really want to have a team of intercessors come, and I, I really want to see a house of prayer inside the church. It's where, it's, it's where prayer needs to be, is in, is in the local church. And he says, well, Sam, I, I'd love to have a team, you know, but we're just, when they started out, and they were in the trailer, and so they were very new, and, and you know, things were just starting, but... It was my heart that to see birth within the church, intercessory prayer. The Lord spoke to Mike here in the last month or so. Hmm? It's been a while back. And the Lord spoke to him and says, you know what? You have, you have fathered a movement well. But you've not fathered my family, my church. I want you to be a father to my people. And it's really shifted, Mike, in his thinking and in his understanding and knowing that, yes, God does want to have prayer houses throughout all the world. But God has said, you know, more importantly, I want you to be a father to my people. And it's so important that that we have fathers and we have mothers. We have sisters and we have brothers. 
and that we come together. Let's look at John 19, verse 26. John 19, verse 26. And when Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. You know, this is an incredible moment because Jesus is wrapping up his ministry and one of the last works of his life on the planet to fulfill all that his father had him to do was that family was on his mind. He was understanding at that moment that his mom was going to need a family and that John was going to need a mother. And right then, he looks at his mother. He looks at his mother and he says, Woman, behold your son. And he looks at John and says, Behold your mother. And there was a dynamic that took place at that moment. But it was so important before he breathed his last breath and said, it is finished. He wanted to establish family. He wanted to make sure his mom was taken care of. He wanted to make sure that John had a mother. And it was such an important moment of his work that he made sure that it was established before he breathed his last. You know, I knew that family was important to the Lord. But I didn't realize it until the Holy Spirit showed me that on, on, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of his last greatest acts was establishing family for his mother and for his disciple. You know, one of the incredible notes is that John is known as the apostle of love. You know, how would you like to describe yourself? I'm the apostle of love, whom Jesus loves. And, but he's standing there watching, you know, Jesus suffer in pain and eventually dies. And the amazing thing about that is that he didn't run away from the situation when everybody else left Jesus. Everybody else scattered. But John stood there while Jesus was suffering, and he stuck with him. He was there for him through the darkest night of his life, and he did not give up. He hung in there and watched his Savior and kept his eyes on him as if he was standing guard. You know, love knows how to stay in there in the most difficult of times. Love knows how to be there when it's needed the most. Love knows how to say, you know what? It might be dark, but I know right now that at this very moment, there's light at the end of the tunnel in this situation. Love has the ability to endure a lot of things. Love believes the best in one another. You know, when I look at everybody that comes in this church every Sunday, I'm believing the best for you. I'm believing that God is going to meet you right where you are this day. Whatever you brought through the door, I'm believing won't go out the door. 
I'm believing you'll be free from it. But too many people in church, my personal opinion, give up on each other too quick. They bolt. When it gets hot in the kitchen, they leave. They don't like how someone has handled the situation, so they choose to leave rather than stay. People have gotten their feelings hurt at church, and they leave. They disagree with someone, they leave. But love sticks in there at the worst of times and believes the best, that the best is yet to come. Hebrews 10, 25, look with me there. Hebrews 10, 25 says this, This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together. Do you hear that? This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together. As some have formed the habit of doing. Because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently. Eager to encourage and urge, or urge each other onward. As we anticipate that day dawning. You know, all of us come from a natural family. And I'm aware at times it's, it might be easier to love blood family. But God initiates spiritual family. He initiates the family of God and puts us where we are to be. But it was, it says that John, as he stood there at the foot of the cross, he accepted Mary into his home as part of his family. Do you accept one another around you as your family? Do you accept one another that you, they've been called by God to be around you, with you, and walk through every situation in life? So do you accept this family? We are family in this house. We have to determine, do we accept one another and see each other as family? Ephesians 1.5 says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Commitment into a church family. Do you understand it's first initiated by God, not you? It's first initiated by him. So let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. It is the Holy Spirit's job to place you in the body that he desires you to be in. It's our responsibility to simply recognize where the Spirit is leading us. Is he leading you to be a part of this family? And that's our job. Psalm 68, 6 says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. You know, another part of, uh, of this verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 18, is that a commitment to a family is really a call to sacrifice. It's an independent it's an end to your independent way of life because Romans 12, 5 says, So we numerous as we are 
are one body in Christ, the Messiah. And individually, we are parts of one another, mutually dependent on one another. The Amplified Version. Mutually dependent on one another. So this requires every member being involved to get plugged in and to realize the benefit that we have of being the family of God. There's incredible spiritual, emotional, physical benefits that come to individuals that see the vision of church not being an institution fulfilling a vision of a pastor, but being a family first. And out of being a family, the works of the kingdom of God are going to advance on this earth because the send-off verse from Malachi 4.6 into the new is that in the last days, would anybody feel like you're in the last days? The hearts of the fathers are going to turn to the children. There's going to be a turning. I, I, I would see myself as a little older than some of you millennials here. It's my role to turn to you and to see you and to believe in you and to connect with you and to bless you and to see the gifts that God has given you. We need one another. Jesus loves family. He is all about family. So much so, he was willing to shed his blood and die for the church. So that legally, contractually, he paid in full the debt that you could not pay. He paid for it in full so that you could be adopted. You're adopted into the family of God because Jesus paid the price with his shed blood. He saw you so precious, so valuable. He gave up his life, and now he calls you sons and daughters of the family of God. And one day we're going to sit around his table. Can you imagine that day? That table is going to be so big. <laughs> I mean, but it's going to be so full of life because we're a part of his household. And until we see him face to face, when he splits the sky and at the last trump, until that day, we're to love one another. We're to love one another so that the world may see them by their love and not by their works. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to King of Glory Sermon of the Week. Connect with us on Instagram at KOG underscore Asheville and on Facebook at facebook.com slash KOG Asheville.